Thank you all for being here today. If you're new, my name is Nathan, and I'm blessed to serve as our discipleship pastor here at Hallmark. We are in the middle of our series called Psalms of the Season. And that word psalm just means song or melody. And so one of the reasons why we picked this title, Psalms of the Season, is because this time of year, there's lots of seasonal music, isn't there? Well, really, it's more Christmas music. There's not much by way of Thanksgiving music. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that I'm a holdout. I try to wait until the day after Thanksgiving to start listening to Christmas music. Anyone else like that? It's not because we're Scrooges, right? We, we love Christmas too. It's just we got to celebrate Thanksgiving and then we go on to, to Christmas after that. Well, as we approach the book of Psalms, as it is a collection of songs, they're designed to be read in a certain way. You, you read a song different than you would read a story in the Old Testament like David and Goliath. You read a psalm differently than you would one of Paul's epistles to the churches. Psalms are designed to evoke emotions from us. They're supposed to draw us to the Lord in praise and worship to Him and then drive us to action from there. That's what they're designed to do. And so this week, we are going to be in Psalm 100. We'll be in Psalm 100 this week. Um, As we've been looking so far in this series, we've been looking at different promises of God. In week number one, we were in Psalm 27, and Pastor John focused on the promise of God's strength. Last week, we were in Psalm 34, and we focused on the promise of God's deliverance. This morning, as we open up to Psalm 100, I want us to focus today on the promise of God's faithfulness. The promise of God's faithfulness to us. So let's read Psalm 100, starting in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. As you look more into this psalm today, the one thing that I want you to take home, the one line that I want you to remember is this. Remembering who God is draws us into thankfulness. Remembering who God is draws us into thankfulness. So the first section in this psalm is verses 1 through 3, and we see that God's identity leads us to worship. His identity leads us to worship. Now the whole way this psalm is structured, there are, there are two sections. The first section is verses 1 through 3, and the second section is verses 4 and 5. And in both of these sections, it starts off by telling us what to do. So in verses 1 and 2, we're, we're going to see what we are supposed to do. Verse 4, we'll see what we're supposed to do. And then in the last part of those sections, it, it gives us the why. So what are we supposed to do here in this first section of verses 1 through 3? We see that we ought to praise and worship God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So now what does this praise and worship look like? Verse 1 starts off by saying, make a joyful noise. As Christians, we like to, to joke around and say that 
uh, this verse applies to you. If you can't sing or if you can't carry a tune, then you just kind of throw some stuff out there and God will be happy with that. And if you've ever stood next to me uh, during one of our worship services, you probably thought of this verse as you heard me try to sing. Uh, But that's not really what this passage means when it says joyful noise. This word for noise means a shout, a triumphant shout. It's a shout of a victorious army returning to their home with their victorious king. That's the noise that this psalm is talking about. That's the victorious feeling, the victorious emotions, the celebratory emotions that this psalm is trying to set the tone for this entire passage. So we shout with victory because our God is triumphant. So we should praise God because he is victorious. And then in verse 2, we see that we should worship through service. Verse 2 starts off by saying, serve the Lord with gladness. If you've been in church for a while, you're probably used to being asked to serve, to volunteer, to do things. And hopefully you do. But I think oftentimes the part that we forget is, to, is the part with gladness. We are to serve the Lord, yes, but we, how are we to serve him? We are to serve him with gladness. You know, think about how Christians are characterized in our culture today. Right? Some of it's fair, some of it's not fair, some of it's true, some of it's not. But when was the last time that you heard Christians characterized as glad people? Hopefully I'm giving people, hopefully we all are giving people a reason to characterize Christians as people who are glad. You know, I always appreciate uh, that we have almost every week here at Hallmark people that are new that walk through our doors. And I want to thank you for that because walking into a place that you've never been before can be hard and can be intimidating, can it? As a, as a pastor's kid, I had the opportunity to uh, go to a lot of different churches growing up. I was used to being, as my dad would preach, in different cities, different states, different churches. I was used to being the, the new kid that would walk through the doors of, of a church. And even now today, I, I can remember certain churches that we walked into. And even as a kid, I would look around and I would realize, these people are not glad people. Have you ever been inside of a church like that where you kind of walk in and it's like, I don't think anyone's really excited to be here. That should not be the case for Christians. That should not be the case for God's people. We should be glad because we are with a victorious king. And we'll get more into why we should be glad here in a little bit. You know, it's easy to criticize other churches like that. But again, look at my own life. Look at your own life. Am I a glad person? Not because everything in my life is perfect. Not because everything goes my way, but when people look at my life, can they see that there's something different there? There's something different that the rest of the world does not have. You see, oftentimes as we serve the Lord, we need to remember that we are serving the Lord. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it out of obligation to someone else or so that others can see us. That won't give us any joy. But when we remember who we are serving, who our service is for, that it's for our Lord, it's for our God, and we know who he is, that is what gives us that gladness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God wants us to be glad when we serve him. 
Did you know that God is not a grumpy God? He, he's, he's not a tyrant up there in heaven wanting slaves who will just do his bidding at whatever he says. God wants joyful, glad people who in loving response to his grace and mercy delight in serving him. They delight in being with him. They love being with him and in his presence. So one of the ways we worship is through service. And as verse 2 continues, we see that we should also worship through song. It says, come into his presence with singing. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why do Christians sing so much? If you've grown up in church, maybe you haven't thought to think that. Uh, But did you know that other religions don't do this? Other religions don't sing the way Christians sing. My dad grew up as a Hindu in India. That's how he was raised. And Hindus, they have ceremonial songs. They have chants that they do, but they don't sing like this. Muslims don't sing like this. Buddhists don't sing like this. Why is that? Why is it that Christians, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of country, regardless of time period, why is it that Christians, no matter where you find them, have always been singing people? Amen. Part of that is we see that the Bible commands us to. Right here in this psalm, it says, come to the Lord with singing. It's a command. But, but why would God command us to sing? Why should it be easy for us as followers of Christ to sing? Well, one of the reasons, I think, is that other religions, they tell you what to do, right? They say, hey, you need to make sure that you say these prayers. You need to make sure that you give this money. You need to make sure that you make this pilgrimage. And hopefully, maybe, if you're lucky, at the end of your life, when it comes time for you to die, hopefully God might decide to have mercy on you. There's not much to sing about there, is there? There's, there's no hope there. There's no security there. There's no victory there. But contrast that with Jesus, who, who did the work for us, and he said that it is finished. There's no more work for us to do. It's only after a work is complete that a celebration can take place. And that's what our gathering every single week as the body of Christ should be. It's a celebration that it's done. It's complete. Our salvation has been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. I didn't earn it, and I can't do anything to mess it up either. It's all because of what Christ has done for us. It's with, it's with this in mind, that with this song, that we are then invited into God's presence. It says, come into his presence with singing. Again, this is a, a wonderful, unique thing about our faith. is that God does not want to be a king that just rules over us. He wants to be with us and among us. He invites us into his presence. He wants that close relationship with his people, with his children. God wants to know you. God cares about the small details in your life. He invites you into his presence, and that should cause our hearts to respond with singing. That's that, hey, we have something to celebrate. We have something to be thankful for that other people do not have. And that should cause our hearts to respond in song. And so this invitation into relationship brings us to the why part of this section in verse 3, why should we praise and worship and sing? It's because of God's identity 
not because of our circumstances. Because of God's identity and not because of our circumstances. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It's only because this verse 3 is true that we can come into His presence with singing in verse 2. It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. The God that we see described in Scripture, that is who God is. And he is good. All of the descriptions that we see in, in the Bible, I, I love how the Bible progressively shows us who God is. Whenever you first open up in the book of Genesis, you see God as creator. And he has this amazing thing where he creates the whole universe in seven days. But we don't know that much about him yet at that point. But then he slowly reveals more of his characteristics, more parts of his heart to us, and until we finally get to the New Testament with Jesus and we see God in the flesh and we find out more about God's heart, more about God's love for us, more about what he wants and what he likes and who he is, and it is all good. Other religions, philosophies, they don't have that either. Other uh, you know, deities and other religions, they can be temperamental. They can be angry for no reason. They can decide that they don't like you anymore. They can go back on their word. They can lie. But the God of Scripture is only good. He can only be good. And that is cause for us to give praise. I'm telling you from personal experience that if you want to know more about who God is, if you want to grow in your love for him, then read his word. The more you read his word, the more he reveals himself to you. The more you see the character of God on the pages of Scripture, and the more you will grow to love Him. And as we grow in that love for Him, our hearts will naturally respond in praise and gratefulness and thanksgiving. Knowing God's identity also makes us secure in our own identity. It says we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. And there's such a security and peace that comes from knowing that you belong to God. There's never going to be a time in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, where you do not belong. God has a place for you in his kingdom. And not just in his kingdom, we see in these verses he invites us in, not just into his gates, but closer, into his courts, into his presence. He has a place for you, and it is with him. And that should cause our hearts to praise the Lord. And that's what every Sunday should be, this type of family reunion, where all the people that God has called out of, of darkness and into light, all the people that were orphaned in sin and slavery are now God's children, and we come together and we collectively praise God for what he has done for us, for saving us from our sins, for making us a part of his family and his kingdom. Every week should be a reminder of that as we gather together. This is the basis of our worship. This is the basis of our joy, not our circumstances. Because your circumstances can go both ways, can't they? They can be good, they can be bad. But as you look in Psalm 100, God is referenced on every single line. He is the focus. He is the subject. He is the primary actor. And when God is the focus of our lives, our joy will never run dry. But when our focus shifts from God to our circumstances, uh, to our health problems, 
uh, to our money. When our joy is based on those things, then that joy will only last as long as those things last, which isn't usually very long. But God is always constant. His love for us never changes. And that is why Christian joy, this gladness that we're talking about, it's not fake, it's not phony, it's not plastic. Christian joy is not forcing yourself to smile when you walk into church and acting like your life is just hunky-dory. That's not what the Bible talks about. I love the way John Piper says it. He says that suffering people need to be able to come into our church and feel like these are not chipper people who have never tasted, as he calls it, the dark night of the soul. They've never tasted the loss of a loved one. They've never tasted what it means to be diagnosed with cancer. They've never tasted what it means to have a wayward child. Christians, we are not people who put our heads in the sand and act like everything is just great when it's not. It's just that our joy is based on something greater than our circumstances. We know that our God is over whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever evil is in your life. God is greater than that. And we're living in light of not just this reality, but the ultimate reality that we know that we will be with him in his kingdom forever. That is what can cause us to always have joy in spite of our circumstances. It's living in that ultimate reality of who God is. So I hope you're beginning to feel what this psalmist is trying to communicate, this excitement, this passion that should drive us as Christians to, to worship and to sing and to praise and to give thanks. Because remembering who God is draws us into thankfulness. So first, God's identity leads us to worship. And now number two, God's character inspires thanksgiving. This is being verses 4 and 5. And again, these verses follow the same pattern as before, where verse 4 tells us what to do, and verse 5 tells us the why behind it. So what should we do here in verse 4? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We should give thanks to God. What God has done and who he is should lead us to give thanks to him. You know, I'm, I'm glad that as a culture, we, we force ourselves to take one day out of the year uh, to take a step back, reflect, and say thank you. That's a good thing. But one of the ironies of our culture is that the spirit of Thanksgiving is quickly replaced with the spirit of Black Friday just a few hours later. I always thought it was odd that they were right next to each other. Now, I'm not telling you don't go out and get some sweet deals this year, but what I am saying is that when our circumstances, when our possessions, when our health, when fill-in-the-blank is the source and sustainer of our joy, that joy will be very, very short-lived. But Christ, who never changes, he is the one who keeps us joyful through the hard times, through the difficult times, through the times of doubt and struggle and fear. Every time that we gather as a church, it should be a time of thanksgiving. Every time we take communion, it should be a time of giving thanks to God for who he is, for his character. You know, the root of our gratitude is that I have done nothing for God, and yet he has blessed me anyway. I have done nothing to earn my salvation, and yet Jesus chose willingly 
to die on the cross in my place. That is the root of our gratitude. And thankfulness, really, it's part of God's will for your life. You know, we all wonder at certain points in our life, hey, what's, what's God's will for me? Uh, well, this part of God's will for us is crystal clear. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is that you give thanks. A regular reminder that he is in control, that he is king, and that he is good. And that leads us to verse 5. Why, why should we give thanks? It's because of God's faithfulness to us. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. God is good, and all the time. Pastor John does a great job of reminding us of that truth every single week when he gets up here to preach. And that's so important that we remember and believe that God is indeed good. Because your circumstances will get difficult. Your life will put you in a corner where if you don't truly believe that God is good, then you're going to start asking questions. Well, if God loved me, then why did he allow this? How could God be good if this happened to my loved one? We have to keep as the basis of how we communicate with God, what we believe about God, that he is good and he can only be good. There is no shadow of turning, the Bible says, in him. Verse 5 continues and talks about how God's steadfast love endures forever. You know, from God's ultimate goodness, this steadfast love then flows. It's unmoving. It's unchanging. Steadfast. It's not the fickle love that we see. We've all seen too many times that comes and goes, ebbs and flows, depends on what happens. We'll see what happens. No, God's love is permanent. Steadfast. And God's love for us, if you are a follower of his, it's maxed out 100% of the time, regardless of what you do. There's nothing that you or I can do that would cause God to love you any less. And there's nothing that you can do that would cause God to love you any more. Every time, even at your worst day, in your worst moment of your worst day, God's love for you is maxed out. Isn't that something to be thankful for? And why can God do that? It's because his love is based on his character, not mine. It's because his love is based on who he is, not who I am. Because you know your heart, I know my heart. And who I am is not always good. Who I am is I often fail over and over and over again. But I love this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Have you ever been faithless in your walk with God? Have you ever failed God? We all have. But I'm pleased to tell you from my own life, and many of you can testify this exact same thing, that even when I have been faithless, even when I have sinned, even when I have started to wander from God, he still has been faithful to me over and over and over again. He is still that loving father, He is still that kind, gracious king, even though I do not deserve it. Because that is who he is. God cannot be anything other than faithful to you. Isn't that awesome? 
He cannot be unfaithful. It's outside of his whole being. It's impossible for God to be faithless towards us, even though we are so often faithless towards him. I love this passage in Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Remembering who God is draws us into thankfulness. Remembering his identity, his character, should cause us to praise and give thanks to him for all that he has done for us. As the band will be coming up here shortly, I want to invite us all to respond to this message from Psalm 100. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, I want to encourage you just to look in your own heart, look in your life, and ask, have I given thanks to God lately? Have I told him thank you for anything, but especially for my salvation? Or maybe you are already serving and volunteering here at church, which is great, but are you doing it with a glad heart? Or is it with the spirit of obligation and the spirit of just fulfilling a duty? God wants you to be glad as you serve him. God calls us to that gladness. Remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross should lead us to give thanks to him. And so if you're a follower of Christ, as we enter into the time of invitation, I want to encourage you just right where you are to take a moment and tell God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've blessed me with. Help me to serve you with gladness. If you're here in person or if you're watching online and you think, man, I've never thought about God in this way. I never even had a desire to know God in this way, but I feel him drawing me towards himself. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you that this same God that we read about in Psalm 100, who, is, who has steadfast love and is always faithful, he has promised that if we turn from our sins and put our trust in him alone, that he will save us. See, all of us have done sinful things. We've all done wrong things. And the Bible says that because of that, the only thing that we deserve is his just punishment and wrath. But the crazy thing is that even though we deserve that, God chose to love us anyway. And he sent his son Jesus to take our place, to take God's punishment all upon himself so that you and I can be saved. That's why Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Not because he had done anything wrong, but because of what I've done, because of what you've done. And so now God offers us each the gift of salvation that says, if you turn from your sins, put your faith and trust in Christ alone, he has promised to bring you into this type of relationship that we see in Psalm 100. One that is not burdened by wondering what's going to happen to me when I die, not wondering if God loves me or not. One that is secure in my relationship with God. One that is secure in who God is, in his good, awesome character. That's what God wants for you this morning if you are not a follower of Christ. So as we bow our heads together, believers, I want to ask that you take this time and tell God thank you. If you're not sure, if you're a Christian, if you've never followed Jesus before, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's, there's no magic words. There's no magic prayer that saves you. This is just an expression of your own faith in God. Let's pray together. Say, God, I admit that I am a sinner, but I accept the sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf.
I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to turn away from my sins and confess Jesus as Lord. I want to ask that you forgive me and that you save me. I submit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen.